covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you in to another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. This is episode number 35. We have a ton to get into on the program today. We'll talk about that in a moment, but first and foremost, uh, some uh, housekeeping type items. Uh, If you're somebody who listens at WTMJ.com, that's great. Continue to listen there. We've got no problem with that. But if you do want to listen maybe on a mobile device or you listen to other podcasts, uh, this podcast is available where all your other podcasts come down as well. Uh, Apple Podcast, uh, if you're an iPhone type person, uh, Stitcher, if you use that, uh, we're available there as well. If you do uh, use the Apple Podcast, would appreciate if you could possibly uh, leave us a comment on the program. That always uh, helps us out. We've seen a number of those recently, and that is appreciated. It'll take just a couple minutes of your time, and uh, then you won't have to do it again. And uh, if you can do that, that would be great. It helps us in our rankings and everything be able to move up so more people can check out the podcast and find the podcast. And that's what we want to uh, see happen. If you want to get in contact with me, whether you just have a general comment or you want to comment on something we talk about during the course of the podcast, I'm available on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. You can also uh, email me, matt.pauley at wtmj.com. Here's what we have coming up on the program today. A couple interviews, as always, in our social media conversation. We are going to be uh, joined by J.P. Breen. Uh, You'd read him in a number of places previously. Right now, he's more focused on his podcast, so we're doing an inner podcast sort of thing today. Um, And uh, J.P. is uh, one of the uh, podcasters with the uh, Milwaukee Tailgate podcast, and uh, that's going to... uh, We'll have uh, J.P. on in the program here in just a few minutes or so. Also, uh, we are going to be once again joined by Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. It's part two of our three-part series looking back at the minor league season. If you missed last week's show, you can always go back through the feed and find episode number 34 where we talk about the short season teams. This week we're going to talk about the uh, two single-A teams with low-A Wisconsin and high-A Carolina. So that's going to be coming up here in just a little while. My initial thoughts on this Brewers season is, man, they that was fun. That was a lot of fun. I'm going to miss covering this team on an everyday basis. This was a team that they were absolutely a flawed team. And I think in baseball you see mostly flawed teams outside of the, the cream of the crop. And, and the Brewers were a flawed team. But the way they played the game, the way they did not give up, look, sometimes you'd want to pull your hair out. The way they lost Saturday's game after having a 6 nothing lead, you, know, you talk about the what it, there's so many what-could-have-been moments for this club, and that absolutely is one of them as well. Now, with the Dodgers defeating the Rockies a couple games in a row, there's a lot of people out there who are saying, see, the Brewers would be playing in a play-in game against the, uh, against the Rockies if if they would have won on Saturday. I'm not going that far. Uh, the, the Brewers losing on Saturday completely changed the way that the Rockies went about playing those games. So it's we'll never know. That's all I'll say. We, we absolutely will never know how it would have played out. You would have liked to have seen seen it. You know, hop in the DeLorean, have the Brewers hold on to that lead on Saturday, and see where we're what we're talking about at that point but we'll never know and that's just the way sports are that's just the way things are I don't think I 
on Saturday when I was doing my post-game show uh, on WTMJ Radio, got a lot of negative phone calls. A lot of people were very upset about the way this team won and looked at you know all the winnable games during the course of the year that they came up short on. And there were some games. There absolutely were some opportunities. You look at all those, you know, the ten inning losses against the Cubs and and the end of that Pirates series and getting swept against Cincinnati and earlier in the year getting swept by Pittsburgh. I mean, there are definitely times where you can go and find places that the Brewers should have won. And I'm not trying to use funny math here. Some people accuse me of that. But I I have this metric that I look at in terms of baseball and improving. I know a lot of people kind of agree with what I'm about to say, but it's something that I, I, I really stick with. I think in baseball, you only have 42 or so games that can go in one direction or another. I'm not trying to discount the other 120 games, but basically in baseball, everybody wins 60 everybody loses 60. This year is a little bit different. The Dodgers only lost 58. I get that, but you're right next to 60, and they just put up a 104-win team. There's a lot of times where that doesn't happen. So basically, we can sit here and say, everybody wins 60, everybody loses 60. That leaves 42 games on the table. You know, the best teams in baseball are going to win almost all of those. The worst teams in baseball are going to lose almost all of them, and then you kind of slot yourself in after that. So the Brewers last year won 73 games. This year they win 86. Obviously, simple math says that's an addition of 13 wins for this team. So let me, I don't, I I wouldn't say I'm spinning the numbers, but let me put the 13 win improvement. Let me insert that into my, you know, 42 games that are on the table. They, of those 42 games, they won 13 more of them this year. If you take 13 and you divide it by 42, you come out to about 31%. So in my estimation, going on the premise that everybody wins 60 and everybody loses 60 and there's only 42 games out there that you can win or lose, sticking with that, the Brewers this year increased their number of wins and winnable and losable games by 31%, which... That's a great number. 13 more wins, that is very significant. The Brewers finished 10 games above 500, 86 and 76. We, you can go back to the podcast before the season got started. And look, if you go back, you're going to hear some things I was very wrong about. I'm not trying to sit here and say I'm the end-all and be-all. Trust me, I, I missed out on some things uh, before the season got started. But one of the things I did say was I thought this team would flirt with 500 this year. I didn't know if that meant being two, three games above, two, three games below, but I thought they would flirt with 500. The The Vegas over-under had them at about the same place as last year, 72, 73 wins, and I thought they would be around 10 games past that. I was wrong, and I was about as optimistic as anybody out there about this team. I was wrong because, to me, you're not flirting with 500 anymore when you're 10 games over at 86 and 76. That is a legitimate number over 500. The Brewers finish out this season with the most amount of wins of any team in Major League Baseball that does not get into the postseason. And in fact, one team, the Minnesota Twins, have one less win than the Brewers. The Twins finish 85 and 77, 
where the Brewers finished 86 and 76, it took one less win to get the second wild card in the American League than it did in the National League. So the Brewers had a very good year. They not a great year. They're not in the postseason. I think if you say a great year, I think I think it's fair to say great seasons finished with postseason berths. But it was a very good year. It was a really good year. And you know what? I may slip sometimes and call it a great year. And if I do, I do. That's the way things are. They accomplished a lot of things. They finished second place in the National League Central. They have a winning record against the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, there, we, we can go down and through all the list. It's It was a really fun season. They accomplished some things. It's a big old bummer that they don't make it into the postseason. But I think this is an opportunity to really look back at what they accomplished and compare that to the expectations before the season and really, really give them a lot of accolades for what happened. We're going to... Uh, as we get a little bit further out from the end of the season in future podcasts, we're definitely going to break down the season a bit more. Again, this is all just those first impressions that uh, come your way immediately after a season comes to an end. But it was quite the season for the Brewers, and it absolutely was fun to cover. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. So this week's headlines of the week, you know, mostly we look back at the entire week because uh, those types of headlines certainly can uh, impact what's going forward. Well, now with the Brewers season over, a lot of stuff that happens during the week doesn't have as much of an impact. Obviously, the Brewers still in playoff consideration through this past Saturday's game. That was game number 161, and then they uh, come up a little bit short uh, in that game on Saturday and end up falling uh, short of winning the uh, second National League wild card. Some of the, the headlines coming out of the clubhouse, specifically on Sunday, uh, the Brewers have four players on the team who are going to be free agents. They also, they also only have a couple players on the team who are technically signed through next year. There's a lot of guys who uh, they have club control with and who they have um, who are going to go to arbitration and, and things like that. So um, there's going to, there, a lot of the guys are going to be back. But from a very technical standpoint, uh, this team only has four free agents this upcoming year. Matt Garza is not going to be back. I don't think we need to spend any time talking about Matt Garza. In fact, Garza uh, might be done. Might be done playing baseball after you know a uh, a twelve year career, and he's obviously made his money. So Garza could be done. That leaves Anthony Swarzak, Eric Sogard, and Neil Walker. There's some interest in all those guys. Uh, who comes back? Who doesn't come back? Uh, that's that's up in the air. Anthony Swarzak has made it clear that he would like to return to the Brewers next year. He had a lot of success with this team, and if the money's right. I would think uh, they bring back Anthony Swarzak, but also um, he if he gets a big offer from another team at the beginning of free agency, I don't know if he can wait on the Brewers. Swarzak seems like a guy to me that you you probably get signed a little bit later in free agency. So uh, he's he's not a guarantee. Eric Sogard was a really good piece to this team, fit in well in the clubhouse. Does he really have a role moving forward? He's somewhat connected to Jonathan VR. Is VR on this team? Do they go somewhere else for second base? Uh, Sogard being a utility infielder. Are there minor leaguers that come up? We've spent a lot of time on this podcast over the last few weeks talking about Mauricio Demon at uh, who played the final 50 or so games this year with Colorado Springs. He's a name that's going to come up as someone who's competing for playing time next year. I, I, I kind of sense that maybe he's someone who profiles out as a player who begins the season at AAA again next year and eventually comes up. 
But Sogard's ability to come back to the Brewers is probably connected to some other decisions that they do have to make. And again, if he gets an offer early on in free agency, he might not be able to wait. And then Neil Walker is the biggest question because he really fit in well. Uh, if you signed him, you could just insert him once again at second base. You probably move on from Jonathan VR at that point, but you can just insert him at second base. But there's also a money aspect to it. Neil Walker made $17 million this year, and he he has openly said that he does want to test free agency. Not that he doesn't want to return to the Brewers, but in his career he's never been a true free agent, so he wants to test that. You know, what would and You would think he was going to get a multi-year deal. Would you go and pay him... $34 million over the course of two seasons. What if he wants a three-year contract? And at that point, you're talking about $50, $51 million over three years. Is that a number that makes sense for the Brewers? That's going to be some. That's going to be a question that they have during the course of uh, this offseason, uh, off and we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Ryan Braun did speak somewhat openly uh, after the uh, season came to an end, looking back on the season that included a couple extended uh, disabled stints. And quite honestly, Braun did not play well in September. Uh, he didn't come up with the big hits when you wanted him to come up with the big hits. And uh, there is uh, uh, it just it wasn't a good finish to him. As this team was really trying to compete for a spot in the postseason, we did not see uh, Braun have that good of a good of a month, and he finishes out 268 average, 17 home runs, 52 RBIs. He did admit that in the final month of the season, he had a wrist injury that limited his ability to drive the ball. The good news is uh, the the major issues that he's had in his career, health wise, uh, really the big one. Uh, was uh, the back surgery that he had back in 2015. But he's also had um, some issues with uh, nerve irritation in his, uh, in his thumb. Those issues weren't in existence. So at least none of the previous injuries started to uh, flare up on him. But he had a calf injury throughout the year, and then evidently he had a wrist injury late in the season that they kept quiet, he didn't really talk about, and that can explain maybe the uh, drop in production. When when the season got started, he looked good, and it was once he started getting banged up that he didn't look good. Uh, you would hope that Ryan Braun could have a bounce-back year. In all likelihood, he'll be back with the team. At this point in time, he's probably not much of a, uh, a tradable asset, plus he's got uh, full no-trade protection, so he can decide whether or not he would accept a trade somewhere. And finally, the draft order is set for uh, this upcoming season, and the Brewers are going to have the number 21 pick. They come in right after the Twins, right before the Rockies, so they'll have the 21st pick in this upcoming draft, and those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for a social media conversation. Time to welcome somebody onto the program for the first time. Kind of an interesting show to be welcoming somebody on for the first time because kind of a sad show as the uh, season has come to an end. But nonetheless, uh, you hear him over on another podcast. I guess he's cheating on his podcast right now because he's on this podcast. <laughs> he is uh, J.P. Breen, one of the co-hosts over there at uh, the Milwaukee Tailgate Podcast. J.P., thanks so much for uh, taking some time with us. How are you doing today? Wow, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm doing well. At least the Brewers were able to end the season on a high note. 
We are we record this on Sunday night, so the season has been over for like an hour and a half, and it's been about 24 hours since we realized the team would not be going to the postseason. What are just kind of your initial raw at the moment thoughts on what the Brewers were able to do this season? Yeah, I think the fact that the that Brewers fans were caring about wins and losses up until, you know, the very end of September. Uh, you know, September 30th was the final day of, effectively the final day of the season for the Brewers. So that was that was a surprise. I, I think a lot of people might be disappointed in the way that it ended. But given the beginning of April, or even midway through April, the way that the Brewers were playing at the beginning of the year, at least didn't give any signal that this, I guess roller coaster ride of a season, if you want to call it that, you know, was going to be on the horizon. I don't think anybody would have turned it down. The fact that if you would have said right before the season, you know, final final series against the Cubs was going to mean something for the NL Central in terms of whether or not the the Brewers or the Cubs were going to take it, everybody would have signed on a dotted line at that minute. So it's a great opportunity for us to get excited about the future but also appreciate the fact that we got an entertaining and meaningful season when I don't think anybody expected it to happen. You just tweeted out a little while ago a stat about the fact that 86-plus uh, wins, it's just the fourth time uh, since 1990 that that has happened. And uh, they finished 10 games above 500. I was somebody at the beginning of the season, I thought at best this team kind of flirts with 500, a couple games above, a couple games back. 10 games above 500 to me is a significant number. Do you agree? I do. I, I personally put them at about 74, 75 wins prior to the season. So I think even the fact that they were anything over 500 is fantastic. So looking back, actually, that was surprising. I think the past decade, Brewers fans have been able to either get excited about a team or at least see the direction in which young talent could progress to the point in which you could have dreams of postseason. But for a long time, I mean, growing up, there were just you just knew that the Brewers weren't ever going to be relevant. And 86 wins, yeah, a lot of people are going to be frustrated that, you know, a mid-All-Star break, the, the lead got coughed up. And it particularly hurts the way that the season came down the stretch, that there were a lot of close games that the Brewers just couldn't pull out. Or, or that, you know, they blew leads. I, so I get that. I get there's a lot of frustration there for sure. I, I kind of reject the idea. And look, I know they had a 500 or a five and a half game lead there around the All Star break. But there seems to be this narrative out there that they that they blew that lead. And when you look at their their month by month records, you know they were they were well above 500 in September. They were above 500 in August. And to me, it was just a case that the the Cubs caught fire. So I. I don't think that the the Brewers blew that lead. I feel like the Cubs took it away. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a very good perspective to put on it. And I I know that a lot of Brewers fans, especially, you know, we're talking to me on Twitter and and emailing into the the podcast and different things like that in terms of suggesting that the Brewers needed to take advantage in the trade deadline because the Cubs were down and the Cubs weren't as good as everybody expected this season. And people... I think it, it's difficult because 
you know, we're used to reacting in the moment, and especially with football and things like that. Like every single week changes the narrative. But the scope of baseball is so much bigger. Like how how performance normalizes the you know how quote unquote good a team is like those things take so long to be able to i don't know level out or find like an equilibrium of sorts because you know that's one of the reasons why whenever they talk about shortening the season i i get the talk behind that you know no question but if you if your goal is to get the best teams in the playoffs every year, you need more games. Just because of the way baseball is, it takes a long time for it to level out. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. I think the Cubs just started to play better. I think that that frustrates a lot of people because this was like the opportunity in which the Brewers could take advantage of the Cubs after, especially after the the season in which you know obviously the Cubs won the World Series and and everybody was talking about the Cubs and it was the Brewers' chance to show you know, this national scene that, you know, we're, A, we're, we're here to compete for the NL Central, but, you know, don't just hand this to the Cubs for the next decade. So it, it, I understand the frustration behind it, but, you know, even giving interviews and doing the podcast around the All-Star break, I'm, I mean, I, I understand that I was, I was a killjoy for it, but I, was still, I still said that the Cubs were going to win the NL Central. So let me throw this off you because it kind of goes to what you were just saying. If the Brewers go, the the Cubs can go make that trade for Jose Quintana, and yeah, they give a ton of prospects away, but they also print money at Clark and Addison, so they can make up for any prospect that they don't have coming through the system in free agency. Where if the Brewers make an equivalent deal for Quintana or for Sonny Gray, who knows? Maybe we're talking about a playoff team right now, but the extended ability for this team to compete at a high level, it definitely takes a hit. That's why I, Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't have wanted to see the team make that kind of move at the trade deadline because the way this team is set up to compete long term you have to rely on those guys who are coming up through the system yeah i mean i think that that's that's certainly a a valid way to look at it i you know i think especially with with cantana i understand you know the attractiveness there but you know he had a 3-8 era with the cubs this year and and with the run environment that's that's comfortably above average but that's certainly not ace level production um you know that's that's questionably not even number two starter production and Quintana was not a game changer for the cubs the reason the cubs got so good was that their offense finally started to click and and sonny gray excellent for the yankees but i don't necessarily know without adding Lewis Brinson to the mix that the Brewers were going to be able to compete with any kind of offer that the Yankees gave for Sonny Gray. And Sonny Gray is not without his question marks long-term as well. So, yeah, I, I, I agree completely that with the Brewers, you need to look beyond this year. And I, I do think that there's an argument that the Brewers should be looking to trade for, for an impact arm this, this winter. Wow. I think that there's a good argument for that. I would agree with that argument. I think you look at the outfield and see a situation where Ryan Braun, Lewis Brinson, Brett Phillips, Domingo Santana, I'm not convinced there's room on the roster for all four of those guys. And if one of those guys gets moved, that probably results in a veteran arm coming in. Yeah, I I mean, other than Keon Broxton, I think that's probably right. And Keon Broxton, I'm not necessarily sure, is going to be able to give the kind of starter that the, the Brewers would need. And, and Jimmy Nelson makes that a little bit weird, right? Because 
prior to, to Jimmy Nelson getting injured, the Brewers didn't need a fifth starter. They didn't need a number four starter. They didn't need a number three starter. I mean, you've got Josh Hader. You've got Brandon Woodruff. You've got guys like Luis Ortiz. You've got Corbin Burns coming through the system. Even Aaron Wilkinson. Or Wilkinson is, you know, he's a comfortable number five starter that we saw today against the Cardinals. But the Brewers need, they're, they're now to the point in which they've got depth and the young depth is starting to find its way to the big leagues. And so if they do make a trade, you don't need, you know, you don't need solid back end starters anymore. You need the, the potential impact starters, which is why everybody was looking for Gray and Quintana. But that, those guys, first of all, have question marks and a legitimate question mark because everybody has question marks. I get that. But you want to be able to trade for somebody like, you know, we talked about on the podcast that's going to be hitting this week. I, I made a pretty strong case for Chris Archer being somebody that I would target and whether or not the Rays are willing to be able to listen. And yeah, that would cost Lewis Brinson plus, but he's the kind of guy that's cost controllable for the Brewers, not going to break the bank. And he's a potential front end front of the rotation starter and he's controllable through 2021. So those are the types of guys that, you want to start to look at for the for for the Brewers and yeah I mean I think you're exactly right that the Brewers need to be able to make longer term moves and you know it's going to be interesting to see what they do especially Jimmy Nelson's injury you know not only just threw a wrench into this season but it throws a wrench into the beginning of 2018 because you're not really sure what we're supposed to expect in the rotation now. We're talking with J.P. Breen. He is uh, one of the uh, co-hosts of the Milwaukee Tailgate Podcast. You mentioned Josh Hader a moment ago. As we've heard about him through these years, oh, he's going to be a starter, and then he comes up to the big leagues, and he okay, he's going to relieve uh, for the rest of this year, but it's still going to set him up to be a starter in the future. And then turns out he's an elite relief pitcher, and he pitches differently as a reliever because he's able to really throw that fastball uh, most of the time and just throw in a, an off-speed pitch on occasion. If he becomes a starter he has to probably change the way he pitches do you still view him as a starter going forward or do you think we have to consider him being a long-term option as a as a dominant reliever in the bullpen i think that the brewers still see hater as a long-term starter and i think that they're going to give him every chance to be a starter and i think if you just look at how he was pitching throughout the rest of the season you actually started to see him throw more change-ups they weren't phenomenal but and in some time, in some cases, they were just kind of like show me changeups to keep the opposing hitters uh, honest, especially when they were right-handers. But the fact that he was actually starting to work those in to show three pitches, and the fact that they started to throw him multiple innings, right? I mean, because part of part of the reasoning behind bringing him into the rotation or into the bullpen was to get him acclimated to the big leagues in a not as pressure-filled of a scenario, I guess, but also to be able to control his innings. And so it was the same kind of plan that people use, that uh, the White Sox used for Chris Sale, same kind of thing that the Cardinals used for Carlos Martinez. So it's an, it's something that a lot of teams do to try to get guys who they want in the big leagues to get, you know, they get their feet wet but maybe aren't ready for the innings load or maybe need to work on a third pitch to be able to do that in a, in a, in a less pressure filled environment. But like you said, I mean, Hader got, Hader got to the point that he was arguably other than Knable was the best reliever in the bullpen. I mean, I guess I'd, what would be your, your approach? Would you want to, cause I mean, in some ways like Nelson's injury kind of 
that kind of forces your hand almost. But would you rather leave him in the bullpen and kind of kick that as a spot that you don't have to worry about, or would you still try to move him to the rotation? So I think eventually, here's my take, I think eventually you have to at least give him a chance to be a starter because you've developed him as a starter. But I think in the near term, uh, Jerry Augustine said this to me today on the on the post game. He said, would you rather have a guy who could come in and have a profound impact in big moments in 70 games or have a guy who go, goes and pitches 30 games? And I think there's something to be said for that. Now, to your point, let's see what they do in the offseason. If they go somehow acquire multiple starting pitchers, then there's less of a need in the in the rotation. So it's somewhat need-based as well. But I am partially worried about if if he is ready to be able to throw enough of the off-speed stuff that he can go through a lineup for the third time and continue to be effective. Yeah, and I mean, there's still the whole issue of whether or not he's going to be able to handle throwing, you know, six-plus innings every fifth day, right? I mean, he's not... He's a slight. He's a slightly built guy. Um, like he, he's what 180 pounds, something like that. Yeah. Um, and so, like, part of the issue throughout the minors was, you know, when he was in AAA, there'd be starts in which he'd throw 90, 91 miles an hour with his fastball, and everyone's like, "Is he hurt? Like, what's going on?" But he's just a guy that you know. There's still a lot of question marks on whether or not he can handle a starter's workload, like just in terms of his own physicality, much less his. You know, is it whether he can throw a three pitch mix or whether or not he can see the the guys the third time through the order, like you're rightly pointing out. And you know, it, it's a really hard question. But you know, the Brewers not only they need help in the bullpen, and then with Nelson's injury, they need either help or or they need to address the the starting rotation somehow. Because whether it's you know going to be Chase Anderson and Zach Davies. Like those are really your only two starting pitchers that you've got locked in. So, I mean, do you then say you want to go Woodruff, you know, Hater, and then somebody on the free agent market or somebody you trade for? That's not a that's not a starting rotation. It's a starting rotation that has upside and has really interesting, exciting arms. But it's not somebody that you're going to come in in April and feel confident that you know exactly what you're getting three out of the five days of the week. So. It's it's a really difficult situation, and I think you're right. It's going to turn. It's going to come down to how David Stearns decides to address the pieces of the puzzle. And you know, fortunately, they've actually got quite a few arms in Double A and above now that are interesting enough that you could see as potential long term starters. So maybe spring training also will play a deal into it, in which you'll see some people try to fight it out for a fifth rotation spot. We're talking with J.P. Breen. We're kind of navigating between looking back to last year and also looking forward to next year as we're doing this podcast not long after the season officially comes to an end. Who's the guy that you know you look taking going back to spring training and looking at what your expectations were and now the, the season's over, who's the guy who exceeded expectations the most for you? Oh, goodness. That's a great question. I mean, in some ways, right, like the best part about this question is there's a lot of possible answers. Exactly. Um, I I mean, I think Manny Pena is probably the person that exceeded expectations for me just because I wasn't even sure that he was the best catcher on the team at that point with Andrew Susak, with Jet Bandy, much less to have him come in and be, you know, if you look at, 
uh, the wins above replacement from baseball reference, like he was actually one of the seven best players on the entire team this year. And I, you know, not only was he, but he was a player to be named later in that, uh, in the K-Rod deal when we sent him to Detroit a couple of years back. And he wasn't even like, quote unquote, the headliner of that deal. And to have him come in defensively, he was wonderful. Offensively, I think he was better than anybody expected. And I was looking at him as a, as a potential really nice backup, like Maldonado type piece somebody who you knew was going to be great defensively and whatever he could do offensively was just going to be icing on the cake. I didn't expect him to be able to come in and be somebody that you'd be comfortable starting four or five days per week. And Stephen Boat obviously came in and added something different to the puzzle. But um, I think Pena for me was probably the the guy who I I just wasn't even on my radar that he was going to come in and be excellent. Yeah, it's funny, you know, going to like, you know, cold takes being exposed. If somebody was to go back to these podcasts around spring training, you would have heard me say that I thought it was going to be Bandy and Susack on the uh, 25-man roster and Pena sent down, and then I realized that Pena didn't have an option left. So, okay, maybe <laughs> Pena makes the uh, roster as the backup catcher just because you don't want to lose them and you can send either Susack or Bandy down. It, it's really, <laughs> it, it's funny how much stuff can change in six months because now in no world would we ever consider Andrew Susack and Jet Bandy to be superior catchers to Manny Pena. No, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think that prior to the season, too, like, and I was pointing this out to a, a lot of people back in, in February and March, is everybody was talking about how it was Willie Peralta's time. And it was Willie Peralta's time because, you know, he had such a great second half last year. And there were a lot of question marks that I, you know, that I was pointing out in terms of, of what his underlying numbers looked like and kind of what you were basing this optimism around Willie Peralta other than the fact that, you know, he threw hard, and that's really nice to see. Because Chase Anderson actually had a wonderful second half last year, too. And everybody was talking about him as he was the guy who wasn't even going to make the rotation. Right. And suddenly Chase Anderson is somebody who is one of the best pitchers in the NL, you know, post, what was it, post-June? or at least post-All-Star break, he was somebody who was excellent. Um, and, you know, like, it, it was those types of things. Like, Chase Anderson, I, I at least, you know, I didn't even believe that there was going to be a massive turnaround for him this year, or that he was going to take a massive step forward. But at least, you know, through trying to explore Willie Peralta, he was, he was somebody that we at least identified. You know, his velocity was up a little bit. He was causing more guys to swing and miss. He had a great second half last year. He was at least somebody on the radar. Uh, but, yeah, guys like Manny Pena, guys like, uh, oh, goodness, I don't even, I mean, like, obviously, Eric Sogard, nobody even had any expectations to come in this year. If you would have said Eric Sogard was, like, getting 300 plate appearances this year, I think everyone would have thought the Brewers were going to be winning, like, 70 games. Absolutely, and you just and to the point of all the guys. Nobody, we didn't know what we were going to get out of Travis Shaw. Are you kidding me? Thirty plus home runs, hundred plus RBIs. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Eric Thames being a thirty home run guy. Um, Domingo Santana. Like, there's just so many guys who did things that I don't think anybody was expecting them to do. Yeah, and and in some ways, that's the story of the season, right? Not only you know individually you can point at so many people but the fact that so many people took steps forward at the same time and that's you know that's what ultimately made the brewer season you know the reason they won 86 games instead of winning 76 games but you know not 
it was the fact that like so many of these guys not only took steps forward, but Jimmy Nelson, Chase Anderson, uh, you know, Travis Shaw, like all of these people took steps forward to kind of the extreme to where you could have even reasonably looked at it. And like Jimmy Nelson was somebody a couple of years ago that, uh, you know, he was, a, he was actually, I, I don't know if this is like public knowledge, but like he was somebody people were talking about in, in terms of like the, that the Rays wanted when the Brewers were looking at David Price a couple of years back when David Price ended up going to Detroit. And, and, and because the Rays looked at Jimmy Nelson as somebody that could be a front of the rotation starter and the Brewers didn't want to give him up. And, Ultimately, like Jimmy Nelson struggled for a couple of years and he was making adjustments, but he was struggling a little bit. But the, you know, the building blocks were still there. And he became the pitcher that everybody thought he could be, you know, three years ago when he was in AAA and people were projecting him to go forward. And so, yeah, it's a good reminder for a lot of fans, you know, especially Brewers fans, like with all these young players coming up, it's important that we, like give them time to be able to adjust because some people can come in and produce right away, but you know, sometimes they need a year, but sometimes they need a couple of years because baseball is hard. You know, like even guys like Gene Segura who came in and were just phenomenal for what, three, four months and then struggled for a couple of years. And then everybody threw him out and said, you know, get rid of him. He's done. He's not any good. And suddenly he moves to Arizona and then subsequently goes to the Mariners. And he's been one of the best shortstops, you know, one of the better shortstops in, uh, in the American League because the tools have always been there. And it's just a matter of, like, allowing guys to figure it out. And sometimes they never do. But it's, a lot of the guys that you think have great potential, it's important to give them time to fail uh, because sometimes they're able to make the, production, or the, make the adjustments for their produ- production to go up. And that- um, not to cut you off, but that doesn't even always happen at the big league level. I mean, you look at Brett Phillips, yeah. and a lot of people gave up on him when he had to go repeat double A, and we saw the impact he made in the last month of the season. Yeah, you're spot on with that. And I I thought it was actually really strange. Like baseball perspective, So I wrote at Baseball Prospectus for the last uh, two or three years. And, um, you know, I worked on them with the, the top ten Brewers prospects list and we were talking and I told them that I was really impressed that they were willing to put Brett Phillips still in the top I think that I think he was still in the top five prospects he was at least in the top 10 because a lot of publications baseball America what you know whatever your favorite prospect list is you know they were dropping him out because of the statistics but you know like defensively he was still there and we were talking about it like if he's a guy who hits 20 homers plays great defense but only hits you know 240 like that Colby Rasmus made like a seven-year career out of that (laughs) like that that's still productive it's not what everybody wanted it to be but like it's important to kind of see those guys and try to take them for what they what they are and I think you're exactly right especially now that the Brewers are going to have so many minor leaguers coming up and so much depth at the big league level you know you're going to have to figure out because the Royals actually are a great example of this like Eric Hosmer like Mike Moustakis this year was one of the, you know, he was excellent. I don't know, remember how many homers he hit, but he hit at least 30. He set a Royals and, team record. Yeah, and he was awful for like three years, and he was a failed prospect. He was, he was done. And then, you know, eventually talent, if you give it time to blossom, the vast majority of the time, I mean, there's Brandon Woods and 
guys who, you know, just have holes that we didn't foresee. But a lot of the guys, they can eventually figure it out. Um, you know, it's why guys like Jonathan VR, you, you know, the talent's there. It didn't happen for 162 games last year because, you know, he got lucky for the entire time. And so it's a legitimate question next year. You know, do you give Jonathan VR the time and space to be able to see if he can rekindle the magic? Because it, it's got to be there still. And if not, you know, he's going to go somewhere like I would guarantee like the Padres or the, the Marlins or somebody like that would pick him up and try to give him an opportunity to do it again. You know, it's the, it's the way that the Brewers got him in the first place is the Astros no longer were in a position to let fringe guys kind of figure it out. The Brewers had an opportunity to let guys like him and Keon Broxton and Domingo Santana and all of these guys, you know, even Travis Shaw to a certain extent, like guys who kind of failed wherever they were, the Brewers could give them time. And, you know, we found some core guys that way. The Royals did the same thing. It's one of the hidden benefits of actually being in a rebuilding process is you've got some time to experiment with some guys. All right, let's finish off with this topic. Four free agents, technically. Let's throw Matt Garza out. He's not going to be back with the club. He may be done playing baseball totally. Anthony yeah. Swarzak, Eric Sogard, Neil Walker. I, I doubt all three back. I mean, there are certainly scenarios where any of those guys could come back. Walker's going to get paid a fair amount of money, so that might preclude uh, the Brewers from bringing him back. But how do you assess those guys with, A, the, the need of the Brewers to bring them back, and then secondly, uh, the, the possibility of those guys being back? Yeah, it's a hard question to end on. Um, I mean, because in some ways, right, that talks about the, the question with Jonathan VR. It's like, do you think that he's a guy who can still be a, uh, an everyday second baseman? And the Brewers might not be in a position to have the patience to find that out because Neil Walker is not flashy by any stretch of the imagination, but you imagine you could probably get him on a two- or three-year deal where he'd be solid. And... That might be what what the Brewers need. I don't think Eric Sogard comes back because I think that there's a pretty good argument that Mauricio Dubon down in AAA could fill a similar type of job. You know, somebody who can play second base pretty well, somebody who can fill in at shortstop defensively, somebody who can hit for average, take a walk, give some speed on the bases, you know, that type of player. I think that Mauricio Dubon can do that. So I'm not sure that Sogard comes back unless the team just loves him in the clubhouse or something to that respect. But I do think that there's actually a pretty good, I think there's a pretty good chance that Neil Walker comes back because if Neil Walker doesn't come back, second base is immediately a spot that you could see the Brewers needing to upgrade via trade or something like that. So I, out of the three of them, I know that Anthony Swarzak actually, you know, talked about how much he really enjoyed being in Milwaukee and how much he would like to come back. But reliever deals are so difficult to to tell what the market's going to be like. I mean, somebody might try to give him a three-year deal immediately, and I'm not necessarily sure that the Brewers would want to play at that. Uh, but Neil Walker, second base, that just seems like, you know, there's a, there's rumors that if they don't sign Neil Walker that they'll want to go look at Ian Kinsler in Detroit. So, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense to me to trade prospects for uh, a veteran option at second base when Neil Walker's already here, expressed that he likes it. If you can get him on a two-year deal, maybe a three-year deal with decent money because the, there's going to be some payroll space, 
seems to me like that actually could be a pretty good deal for the Brewers. Let me play devil's advocate on that one because he's making $17 million right now, and he has Mm -hmm. spoken openly about wanting to experience free agency for the first time. People don't talk about experiencing free agency for the first time unless they're trying to make some money, so I think we can assume he's not looking to take a pay cut next year. So are you comfortable with Neil Walker at you know two years – $34 $34 million or, or three years, you know, well into, you know, close to $50 million? You know, it, I, I personally, if, if I could get him on two years, like two years, 30, 34 million, I'd be pretty comfortable with that just because right now, if you look at the Brewers' projected payroll for next year, including projected arbitration deals, they're coming in at about $60 million. So, their their top end payroll in terms of what they've shown is above a hundred million, and there's so there's space to give somebody Neil Walker some money. Um, I'd feel comfortable with that. It's a question of whether or not they're going to spend money on the on the starting rotation. Is what it comes down to. Like, how much money are you going to want to give for a starter? If we're talking about you know, Lance Lynn becoming an option. If we're talking about, you know, maybe they want to absolutely go make a splash and they want to, I don't foresee it, but if they want to get in like the U Darvish sweepstakes, if they want to try to get Jake Arrieta from the Cubs, you know, something like that, you know, then you probably don't have payroll space for it. But I also don't see the the Brewers wanting to play that much in, in free agent land. So Neil Walker, you know, somebody they know, they understand, they understand, you know, his bat is solid. The only question with Neil Walker for for myself is not the money because I think the payroll space is there. You know, he's only he's only gotten six hundred plate appearances once since two thousand twelve. Like he's he is injury prone. And being thirty two, he's gonna next year he'll actually he just turned uh thirty two, I believe, this month actually. And so you know, that's somebody that you're not necessarily comfortable with the fact that you're getting somebody for 600 plate appearances because of his injury history. So that, I think, is the big question mark for me. And if Neil Walker, the nice thing about the Brewers at this point is Neil Walker can't say, I want to go somewhere where I have a chance to hit the postseason because Milwaukee has shown that that, that's, you know, Milwaukee can play that card. So I don't necessarily know if there's somebody you'd rather see at at second base because looking at kind of the free agent list or seeing who could be the trade market, I don't necessarily see somebody that's better than Neil Walker, even with the the money issues that I know that he'll want to get paid. No, I I don't, I, in a perfect world, I would say Neil Walker's back, but I think when you play out all the dominoes on that, you need to then walk away completely from Jonathan VR because I don't, Mm -hmm. VR has got to be given a true, I, I think we've seen with Jonathan VR that he's not built, his DNA is not built to compete for a job. He's got to be somewhere where he has a true opportunity to, to be that everyday second baseman. So if you go back, if you stick with Walker, you got to find a new home for Jonathan VR. I don't want to play around with him with Neil Walker on the team. Yeah, I think that that's fair. And the nice thing about Neil Walker is that, you know, VR, you've got questions about the bat, but he's he's solid defensively, but I don't know if you'd grade him out as average. Uh, Neil Walker, you at least feel comfortable at second base with him with the glove. And at least I do. I know that, you know, sometimes his defensive numbers have fluctuated, but I think he's at least league average. And and I like the bat. And I think he gives something different than a lot of other bats in the system 
are in the lineup right now is he's somebody who's who can draw a walk, but he's you know he's never even struck out twenty percent of the time throughout his entire big league career, like not once. So that I, I like the idea of having a different profile of bat, and Jonathan VR is kind of. You know, he's, he's still somebody that can draw a walk, and we've seen that. He's got some speed on the bases, which is nice. But Eric Sogard was a nice change of pace, and Neil Walker brought that along well because you finally had somebody in, in the lineup that you knew wasn't going to strike out. And not that I think strikeouts are the end-all, be-all, but I'm, being, I'm becoming more taken with the argument that even though strikeouts are not uh, are, are not a massive problem. Having variety throughout your lineup is is nice. You know, it, it's a nice to have somebody in the two spot that you know can at least pr- put together a professional at bat, move the runner if needed. He can still take a walk, but got a little bit of pop in the bat too, where he can still hit twenty homers. So I kind I I hear you on VR, and I fully agree that if you do bring in somebody like Neil Walker, VR has to move on. I'm just not necessarily sure that's a bad idea, per se. He is J.P. Breen. Uh, you can listen to him uh, over at the uh, Milwaukee Tailgate podcast. He is cheating on his uh, podcast as he's with us today. <laughs> follow J.P. on Twitter at J.P. underscore Breen. You can follow their podcast uh, at MKE uh, Tailgate. Uh, J.P., give me a little bit of a plug for what you guys have going on uh, over at uh, the podcast. Yeah, we so we talk... It's usually every Monday the podcast comes out. We cover the system, uh, top big leagues all the way down to the minor leagues. We'll be talking about our, our minor league awards of the season next, uh, next week. We'll be kind of breaking down what we're going to, what we're going to be looking for in terms of free agency, uh, and how we think that the Brewers can build a successful team in 2018 going forward. And a couple of my co-hosts, well, one of my co-hosts will tell us that trading away prospects is like the worst thing ever you could possibly do. Um, and and me and Steve will try to tell Ryan that you know at su- at some point having hard and fast rules like that make no sense. <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll argue about it, um, but hopefully we'll bring you some substantive stuff in the middle of us arguing. This was a fun conversation. I feel like we could have gone forever. Uh, enjoyed it. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time and being on the podcast today. Absolutely, anytime. Thanks for having me. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time to go down on the farm. And for a second week in a row, we're very happy to welcome on to the program uh, Brad Ford. You know him as Brew Crew Blue on Twitter. He's uh, one of the guys we go to all the time to talk minor leagues, and we're in the middle of a, uh, a three-week series where we're going back through all the Brewers uh, minor league affiliates. Brad, thanks for being back on the program. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and thanks for having me on. It's really helping me spread the minor league system it has once the offseason goes through. We're waiting for Arizona Fall League to get underway. So it's, it's always something that helps me get you know, it's a struggle period for me, so this is helping me get through it. Well, I'm glad we can be uh, we can do something like that. Uh, and for folks who maybe did not hear last week's episode, last week we featured uh, both the uh, Helena uh, Helena Brewers and also the uh, Arizona League or the Maryvale Brewers. So 
Uh, if you want to hear that, you can just go back and listen to last week's episode and uh, head to the Down on the Farm segment to get all that information as we move to uh, the single A, both uh, Wisconsin and Carolina is who we're going to focus on uh, this year. So let's start with the Timber Rattlers. Brad, everybody always, uh, when, when you talk about the Timber Rattlers, the name that everybody wants to talk about first is Keston Hero, but I'm not going to do that. We'll talk about Keston in a moment, uh, but... Uh, a guy that we alluded to in our last conversation, catcher Mario Feliciano. With all due respect to Keston Hira, I might be more excited about Feliciano, ma- mainly because of the position he plays, and, and he just he just jumps off the page in every way, shape, and form. Uh, is how excited should Brewers fans be about Mario Feliciano? Uh, very, and I say that biased because I am very excited about Feliciano myself. Um, he looks like he's going to be a catcher, which like, he's, we talked about Peyton Henry last week. We talked about K.J. Harrison and how hard catching is. He is younger than Peyton Henry at a higher league and looks way better at it. He, the things that he needs to fix are things that coaches can teach. There's a lot of things that the hardest part about becoming a catcher is you need to be natural with a lot of things. He has natural movement. He has mobility. He has flexibility. He can get around behind the plate. And he can uh, really, uh, he still needs to work on throwing, but he looks good at it, and he catches a good amount of base runners. So it's not like people are running all over him. As you continue to fine-tune that and he continues to get older, his arm will get stronger and he'll be even better. Uh, he's only he's early year 18, so he's really, really young, and I'm really, really excited about him. Um, probably the most exciting thing was that he hit well enough to stay at Wisconsin. We've seen the Brewers do this a few years now with draftees, where they bring up their high school draft players who are picked rather high, and they put them in Wisconsin. And the M.O. has always been, once you have half a year in Wisconsin, you come down to Helena where, things, Helena where things are going to be a little easier for you. They didn't have to do that with Feliciano. They gave him a couple weeks off here and there to make sure he wasn't overtaxed because it's full season playing baseball, and catcher is a pretty taxing position. But they, he hit so well that he didn't have to go anywhere. You're seeing a guy who is fully developing power, um, his slugging percentage at 331 is nothing to such jaw-dropping, but uh, he was able to really work the gaps with 16 doubles, and most of those, I remember watching, because I watched them all, go to the wall. Um, so they're not, there's a few dribbler down the lines or, you know, really rush around a second. And, I mean, he's 18, so the speed's going to go down. They full 10 bases. To see any speed from a catcher is something that's awesome. So I think he, like you said, because of position, he's one of the most exciting prospects in the system because he could develop into a catcher and he could actually be a pretty good hitter on top of it. All right, now let's jump to Keston Hira. 27 games uh, after he got the call up to the Timber Rattlers, he hits 333. He had that long streak of 
getting on base or, or getting a hit in, in so many games in a row for a while before it eventually uh, went away. People talk about how good this guy's bat was, that his bat was going to play at a high level uh, immediately being drafted. The question was his defense. He did finally play a little bit in the infield after not playing it at college at all. Uh, we, we can all be excited about Keston Hira, so let me kind of turn the question around. If there's anything that makes you nervous about him, what is it? Uh, nothing. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, that's, I am probably as excited about Keston Hira as anyone in the fan base. Um, like, I, I, we talked about him throughout the year in my appearance. I think he's that guy who can just cruise through the farm system, and the only one who can stop him himself. He'll need a little bit here and there to develop or adjust, but his bat's legit. His defense, while not amazing, isn't so bad that you need to like stop and work extensively with him on something. Just probably spring training programs are going to be enough to get the work in that he needs, and he'll work on it throughout the season with his coaches. Um He's not a liability at second, and for him to come from a year where come where he hasn't played defense for basically a year and more than a year, and then go to second, yes, with a lot of work before he went out there. The reason he wasn't playing DHG they said he didn't need coming down surgery is because they're working up his arm strength and breaking off some of that rust. He looks manageable out there, and he's probably going to look better next year if he has a full offseason working on it. So I I don't have a down portion of his game. Uh, he really just dominates the players he's hitting against, and I expect that to continue as he progresses through the minors and maybe not really hit a roadblock until he gets to the majors. This this minor league system, it was stacked at AAA, at AA, at Carolina. In our last week, we talked about the draft picks, although it's hard to really judge those short season teams. If there's a, if maybe there was a level this past year, a wave that wasn't as strong as the others, might it been this wave of guys who spent uh, a lot of the year at uh, at Wisconsin? Yeah, I think that's fairly fair. It started to get better at the end of the year as you started getting. Uh, some of the draft picks coming up, like Dallas Carroll and Devin Harrison. But all in all, uh, it was one of the weaker groups. And a big, I mean, it was just the Brewers didn't really have the talent to fill the position. Aside from Mario Feliciano and Demi Ormoloy, you you're looking at a group that just isn't nearly as exciting, especially when all the top prospects are in the place we're going to talk about next, Carolina. Um, like I said, they got better once that talent got there, and I'm expecting a lot of that talent uh, and the recent draftees to be there next year. So they should be better off. Uh, they might even have K.J. Harris next year. But, yeah, it, it really was underwhelming in terms of places you need to pay attention to, and I feel like that hasn't been true. Their performance hasn't necessarily been great over the recent years, although they did go to the playoffs last year, uh, but they've always had exciting players. They've always had, even though they were struggling, Monte Harris and Jake Gatewood, and there was always a reason to watch, but this year, it, it just was underwhelming. Really, if you were tuning in for most of the year, you're tuning in to Feliciano. Um, yeah, it, it's just a group, especially on the pitching side, aside from Trey Supak, 
who moved up in the middle of the year, even their pitching side wasn't that exciting until Zach Brown really got things together. Yeah, there's no reason to go out of your way to watch them except for Feliciano. So, well, one more guy to get to here before we move on. Uh, and You need to respect a guy for being able to play 125 games, but uh, Demi Ormoloy, uh, 125 games. His numbers aren't great. He does hit 11 home runs. Uh, this is a guy that people were, were high on at least at one point in time, but then he had, those numbers aren't great this year. What do we take away from him and his season? I think there it's a good takeaway. He never hit himself into a position where the Brewers felt the need to take him down. And his numbers weren't anything to write home about. Um, he did start the year off pretty hot, uh, but it's his first full year in, in playing baseball, which is big for any player. That's a big milestone to get over because the major league or the professional season is taxing. Um, he's a young guy at 20, and he has a lot of muscle and he still needs to learn how to maintain that muscle and not wear himself out between his workout regime, his baseball playing. So in full season, you need to learn a lot of that, um, a lot of how to make self-maintenance and taking care of yourself. Um, he showed power, which is good, uh, but he struck out a lot. Um, led the team with 139. And he's, he's a work in progress. But he's a really exciting work in progress. I definitely don't say to lose hope in him yet because the Brewers at any point could have moved him down like they have to Monte Harrison, like they had to Jake Gatewood. They've done it to premier players before when they felt they were struggling. But clearly he was doing something that they liked that gave them a reason not to bring him down. Part of it might have been just they needed offense at Wisconsin, but I think the development of the players is substantially more important to them than something like that. So I think him not going to Helena is a signifier that he was doing something they liked enough that they kept him there. I mean, Gilbert Lair went down, and he was way worse than Demi, yes, but he was doing, or Demi wasn't far behind in terms of numbers. So there's something there to like, and it's about, really for him, about getting the strikeouts down and getting the contact up. Because once he hits the ball more, Watch out, because with his power, I mean, he can do a lot of damage. All right, let's jump jump to a couple pitchers before we uh, move a level up. Uh, we'll start with Josh Pennington. Nine games this year, one and three, two point nine seven ERA. Uh, you can make the argument that in terms of the pitchers who finished out the year uh, at Wisconsin, he was probably the most impressive. Right. Um, it took him a little while. He was coming off an injury. But this is another player that I feel the Brewers really stole away from uh, the Boston Red Sox. In a different trade, when they gave up Aaron Hill, uh, they her, he was part of the return. And, I mean, you got to be happy with his performance. He's never pitched at full season A uh, or mid A because they have the A minus level. Uh, and. He, after coming off an injury, he was able to put together 30 good innings. Uh, his stuff, his fastball especially, was very overwhelming to the hitters that he was facing, which is a great sign, even though it's a lower and younger level. Um, and the Carolina League should really benefit the way he pitches pretty well because he tends to get a lot of awful contact with how his stuff works. Um, especially, I mean, he has that power fastball, but his curveball works pretty well too. 
probably going to end up being a reliever when everything's said and done. But he's an exciting guy, and he's probably one of the few guys of note who finished the year in Wisconsin. All right, last guy, Adrian Hauser, as he uh, makes that comeback. He appears in just three games with Wisconsin, uh, five innings, or excuse me, nine innings, one run on, on five hits, and uh, a lot of reasons to be hopeful that this guy can uh, get it back going. Right. Um, I mean, he had a re- really, really good display before he got injured and had to have Tom John. Um, he was expected to be kind of like the throw-in piece of the Carlos Gomez-Mike Fires trade. Um, and he could be just as beneficial to the team as, well, I shouldn't say just as beneficial as Josh Hader, because I think that's incredibly hard, especially with the way he's pitching the bullpen. But he can still be a player who really helps the Brewers out. Um and it's great to see that he was able to come back. And other video that I was able to see of him, um, he still had his stuff looked like it really didn't get hurt. His velocity was still there. Uh, a lot of movement on his pitches were still there. So it looks like he's coming back nice, and especially only having to pitch a total of 17 innings coming off Tommy John. Um, and now he'll come back and probably go right back to Biloxi for a little while, and then if he shows there's definitely no rust, go up to AAA, uh, really be a huge benefit. It could be helping the Brewers as early as next year. All right, let's uh, let's jump up to the Carolina Mudcats, who, along with the Sky Sox going into this season, had some of the uh, the best group of prospects throughout uh, throughout all of uh, baseball. And we'll start uh, with maybe a guy, not maybe, uh, with a guy who did have a disappointing year because so much, so many expectations upon Corey Gray based off where he was drafted. In 112 games at Carolina, he hits 238. I know there's disappointment in his season, so I'll give me the uh, the reason to be optimistic about what he did this past year. The reason to be optimistic is you should always be happy uh, when someone can steal 24 bases, um, and he definitely can steal substantially more than that. Uh, he missed a lot of development in the spring, a lot of development, because he was coming off that surgery on his leg. So... I mean, he still gets the injury excuse. Um, I mean, that especially for younger players, the developmental period before the summer starts, working with the full well of coaches and everyone at hand is really beneficial. He didn't get that. He really couldn't work that much. He worked with the major league team for a little bit, but not anywhere where he could because he was still hampered by his injuries. It took a little late to get into Carolina. So, I mean, that's really your, no pun intended, ray of hope. This fact, he, that injury hampered his development. Because his problem right now is his swing. It looks really pretty, but you, a lot of scouts, smarter than I am, say the number one problem is that it's long and looked like it was getting longer. So his struggles seem to really lengthen out his swing and make it easy to get stuff, especially high heat, past him. Uh, the good news is, it, since that is his weakness, I apologize if you hear the beef. That's my wife cooking. Oh, that's ready in the background. But getting back to Corey Ray, the good thing is long swings are a mechanical tweak. If he can shorten his swing and maintain the contact he had before he was drafted, and he can get a lot better. Jake Gatewood had a very, very long swing. That was part of his reason with con- problems with contact. He was able to shorten it up. 
and that's why he ended up being a lot better this year. He's a guy who we'll talk about, I believe, next week when we get to Double A. Uh, so you hope Corey Ray has a turnaround like that, where he shortens up his swing, is able to get that contact that he had in college, and turn things around. Because he, as much as I want to be the guy's champion, and I really, really do want to like him, there's no reason to defend him right now because that performance is very disappointing. All right, let's uh, and I agree with everything. It is disappointing. I think there's a lot of people who are very hopeful that he does turn it around next year and it starts in spring training, and we'll see where he ends up being assigned uh, starting next year. Uh, Monte Harrison, 59 games uh, there at uh, High A. 278 hitter, 10 home runs, 35 RBIs. Uh, had good numbers uh, earlier on in the season as well before the call-up. Uh, here's a guy who, I mean, uh, I don't know what the expectations were so much on Harrison coming into this year, but he, he I, I think he exceeded all of them, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I think the expectations were he's an injury risk who gets injured. It takes a significant injury every year, and every year it seems to come when he was heating up. Um, and then you're talking about someone who started the year off a little slow, um, but was able to get things so right that he ended up almost leading or being five away from the team leaving Carolina at homers after only half a season. Um, I mean, he, he got bigger um, in the offseason, which is impressive because he's already a huge guy. Uh, I've heard a lot of people compare him to a fullback in terms of his look. Um, so, I mean, that probably helps tribute to the power and <laughs> he has just these mammoth blasts in game. It's one thing, actually, Corey Ray, one of the things they talk about is he can hit some monster shots in batting practice. The problem is you never see him do it in a regular game. Monte Harrison hits monster shots in games. Um, I mean, all in all, I believe he had 23 home runs. If you count the two that he had the All-Star game, I, it was quite a season, uh, probably enough to put him in his top 10 prospects list again. Because between his ability to make contact, walk, and be a threat on the bases, along with the power and great defense, I think he ended the year with three Sports Center top ten plays from Carolina, and two of them were number one overall. I mean, the guy is, I mean, he was just the living representation of fireworks all season. And he's a guy fans should be excited about again. This was all about health. You know, throwing in the health card again. Once he was finally able to stay healthy, he was able to show all that promise that we expected. And also, he was a three-sport player, and scouts always say three-sport players just tend to take a little bit longer to develop than most people because they've never focused on one sport before. We we talked earlier about the disappointments of Corey Ray. We can kind of say the same stuff about Asan Diaz, right? Yeah, um, less so, mainly because the power was still a piece there. Um, strikeouts were still very high, um, but at least he had 62 walks to go along with it, and I was walking. Uh, his walk rate was 110 over his average. So at least he was still able to walk a decent clip. Uh, but the strikeouts really seem to be the problem. He's probably going to be a high strikeout player, um, but when he did make contact, it didn't seem to be bad contact. Then, to top everything off, he ended the season with a 
pretty significant injury, one that's probably not going to require surgery, but one that took him out for the remainder of the year. And, I mean, it was, it was very disappointing. A lot of players, a lot of uh, people watching start to hear him be compared to players like Robinson Cano when he comes out and barely scrapes 220. And But there was something about Carolina where it seemed like even their best players had trouble hitting there. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Brewers just move him to Biloxi and hope for the best. Um, and kind of just give him a pass on his A-plus season. Or he comes back to Carolina and works on a few things. I think he's still a really good prospect. I think people should still really be excited about him. Um, <laughs> to, to hit 300 over two levels, it takes skill regardless. And he's a younger player who was able to really dominate his levels that were kind of high for his age level, but he, he just hit a roadblock. It's hard. You get more advanced pitching, you get better college pitching. Um, we've talked before about how high A is kind of a lot of that, a lot of the time where players take a step back because it's a lot of stuff they haven't seen before in pitchers. So there's a few reasons you can attribute it. He did look lost a little bit against some of the more advanced breaking pitches. Um, and, I mean, the fastballs were faster than he's seen before. Uh, the ones that are in the zone, anyways, because a lot of times in low A, when you're seeing 99 miles per hour, the person can barely locate it and is lucky to get in the zone. So I just give him a pass. That's my advice to Brewers fans. Give him a pass, and let's see what he does next year, because he still hit the heck out of the ball when he was able to not strike out. All right, a couple pitchers to get to uh, before we uh, close the book on Carolina and two pitchers specifically that were at Wisconsin and they got the call up. We'll start with Zach Brown. Uh, in four games at Carolina, had a 2.16 ERA after putting up good numbers at Wisconsin. This is maybe the guy to be most excited about between who pitched between those two levels. Would you agree with that? Oh, I, in terms of pitching, yeah, absolutely. Um, he kind of flew under my radar. I expect him to have a pretty good display, but he was dominant. Um, coming in and really having uh, a weird performance, I'll say, in 2016, where he was coming off where he came to the rookie ball and came to Wisconsin and kind of got rocked. Um, he, he was a you know somewhat later acquisition by the Brewers in the fifth round of the 2016 draft. Uh, he really wasn't on my radar or someone to follow. So clearly I was wrong in that regard because, uh, I mean, to be able to put up a 311 ERA in 22 games and really after an off start at Wisconsin, he was absolutely dominant. He was making hitters look silly. So to make that adjustment and come in and be able to dominate the opposing team is really something that's promising. The hardest thing about baseball is making adjustments as the year goes on. And he made such a big adjustment that he started dominating everybody. And then he went up another level and was dominating them, too. More advanced hitters, um, you know, different looks, different he's never faced before. So that's something that people should really play on to because... I mean, he showed really advanced stuff for his, well, not really his age, he's a college pitcher, but he showed that he was able to put that advanced stuff to use, which is really promising. 
And then the other guy, Trey Supak, he, he had the good numbers at Wisconsin. Not quite as good uh, when he got to uh, Carolina with a 4.60 ERA. Struck out 57 and 72 in the third innings. That's, that's not bad. I mean, there's certainly some numbers to look at there that were good. Hitters hit, uh, what, 241 against him, so uh, that's not bad either. Uh, but uh, he's a little bit different than Zach Brown, that he did not have that overwhelming success after he got the call-up. Right. Um, he did. He came out and he struggled out of the game. Um, he's a little younger than Zach Brown, doesn't have the same experience as Zach Brown in collegiate pitching. Um, so high A, especially for high school players, seems to be a struggle step because you're facing the good college pitchers. I say that and it sounds very mean, but that's kind of how it works out. The good college pitchers mow their way through the more high school level players in low A and then go up to high A for development. Uh, so uh, the he has to go against the good hitters now and make that adjustment. Came out of the gate, didn't look too good, but then really put things together. Um, over his last seven games, um, he had a three point or he three one four ERA. Was able to put thirty one strikeouts, uh, but the problem that we found when he came up were just hitters were more patient. They're not willing to reach outside. So you have to make them make bad contact. Eventually, he made that adjustment. Um, his strikeouts went down just a little bit uh, because he was getting worse contact. And then once they know that they you know, have to defend, when you get them to start reaching out of the zone, that's what they did. And that's where Supac really started coming on. Um, and two, they worked him in relief a few times, and he looked really good um, in relief uh, the few times that he did. So, a little rest and, you know, a little experience with those more advanced, more patient hitters ended up being pretty beneficial. I feel bad because especially with this Carolina team, with all the players that were on it, we could probably spend two hours just going through some of the guys on, on this team. And uh, we, we certainly missed a, a few of the guys that uh, the, the fans can be excited about. But, uh, Brad, nonetheless, that is going to be where we uh, called it in for uh, for this part of our, uh, of our minor league recap. Always appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk again next week as we go through the AA and AAA levels. Sounds good. That was Brad Ford in our conversation about uh, the single A levels of the uh, of the Brewers organization, both with with the uh, Wisconsin Timberlanders and the Carolina Mudcats. Next week, we'll look at Double A Biloxi, Triple A Colorado Springs. If you missed our conversation last week, we focused in on the uh, short season teams, both in uh, Arizona and in Helena. All right, that's gonna do it for uh, this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, uh, the podcast. This is kind of, uh, again, we just, it's very fresh, very raw after the season came to an end. Uh, next week's episode, we're going to spend a, a little bit more time and probably put together some more uh, coherent thoughts about uh, what uh, what this past season was for the Brewers and uh, where they should uh, move forward. But a very much a reactionary show today after the season comes to an end. A couple reminders for you. Uh, Brewers Weekly, my Thursday night show on WTMJ Barring a Bucks game being played on Thursday nights, uh, we will have Brewers Weekly for you. That will take place uh, every uh, Thursday from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. And also don't forget about the big uh, Brewers event that is uh, that comes up uh, every year during the offseason, the on-deck event uh, that has been announced. It always takes place uh, between the uh, AFC-NFC Championship Week and the Super Bowl Week. 
and uh, this year they're going to get things going uh, a little bit earlier in the day. In fact, uh, I think the Bucks play a, a game that day, so I think that might be part of the reason why they're getting stuff uh, started a little bit early, but that is going to be officially taking place on Sunday, uh, January 28th, and there's going to be a breakfast with the Brewers deal. You can get details about that over at uh, brewers.com. All right, that's it for uh, this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We'll talk to you again next week for another episode. Thank you so much for being tuned in. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.